Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This is episode 27. And it's recapping week 9 of the NFL season, where the New York Jets came up short for the second time to the Miami Dolphins, losing this game 13-6. to Great defense, terrible offense, more of the same from the New York Jets from what we've seen. Got a lot I want to get into today, but first, got some big news regarding the podcast. You may notice, for those of you who've been with me for a while, you probably noticed this podcast has found a new home, and that's gangreennation.com. That is right. I alluded to a little bit of a surprise in the past episode. The big news is the podcast has officially been picked up by Gangreen Nation, and I will now be a part of that family. If you're not familiar with gangreennation.com, shame on you. Um, No, but it is probably the best Jets website that you can find for information on the team. It's gangreennation.com. It's a subsidiary of SB Nation, one of their podcasts, and it's extremely good. They got great writers on it, an awesome manager for the site, and there's actually another podcast that is coming out came out just a little bit before mine for the website gang green nation as they do this new podcast push and that's michael nania and you may follow him on twitter or uh see him online or maybe you've seen him on gang green nation but he's got a podcast a gang green nation podcast that you are going to enjoy if you uh, have a chance check that one out but that's the big news basically going to be recording these episodes in a new way i've been on podbean and stuff in the past i don't think i'm going to be using that anymore but i'll be on a bunch of new sites i'll be available on things like spotify uh, google podcast pocket cast um a bunch of other ones, not entirely sure what they're going to be. I'll make sure that you guys get all that information as it becomes available. But this is cool, you know? This is the podcast taking the next step, and I appreciate all the support that I've gotten from everyone who's been listening in the past. To those of you newcomers hearing this for the first time, welcome. Basically, this is a fan-made podcast, the New York Jets. I've been a lifelong fan watching the games with my dad for the past 21 years. I'm 26 now, and it's been a lot of struggle through the years, but, you know, up and downs the moments of of hope moments of inspiration namely when we drafted sam darnold it's been extremely exciting i started this podcast with josh mccown as the quarterback and a lot has happened since then still todd bull still uh, mike mccagnon so similar regime but in terms of the team's roster we are headed in a much better direction than then and uh it's getting more and more exciting every week unfortunately the team's been continuing to lose so it's put a little bit of damper on things but typically i run these episodes the same way that i'm gonna run this one i start with just a, a little intro and then I do a recap, a check-in of the AFC East from that week. we got to keep our rivals close, see what's going on with the Dolphins, Bills, Patriots. You know, one for the division, even though it's obviously getting out of hand at this point. But two, uh, you know, we play these teams twice a year, and most other teams we play once every three years, every four years. So, yeah, it's a bit important to make sure we know what's going on over there. Then we do an NFL news storyline update, take a look at what's going on throughout the NFL with the other teams, not in our division, how it relates to the Jets. From there, I do a section called What's on Tap, and What's on Tap is a fan-favorite section where I basically just go over the beer that I'm drinking during the episode. not going to tell you what it is right now, but I got a great beer in hand, and I look forward to going over that in about 15 or so minutes. And then after that, I do a recap of the New York Jets game from that week. I do a team analysis, player analysis. I pick an offensive player of the game, a defensive player of the game, and a special teams player of the game. Go over what happened that week. Uh, It's usually... Uh, accompanied by the vibes of the week, you know, rather depressing and down. If we win, sometimes it's really exciting, and we talk about 
you know, the future Super Bowls that we're going to. If it's bad, we talk about all the roster turnover that needs to happen. This is going to be one of those weeks. Look forward to that. Maybe we'll do a little coaching as well. And then uh, that's about it. I do a preview of the team that we'll be playing next week. Kind of go over what to look forward to. I like to do check-ins on the Jets season, you know, statistically and, st- and standing-wise, the record, what we're looking at. And oftentimes I like to take a look at what's going on from a general manager standpoint. Uh, not that I have any experience doing that at all whatsoever, but I just like to look at kind of the finances of the team, what the cap situation is looking like, uh, you know, future free agency, the draft, and things like that. Because if the team's going to be good and it's going to have any sustained success, it's going to be through a smart, built team. It's going to be good contracts, good draft picks, finding budget players here and there, getting rid of guys when it's time to go, understanding the value of a player, where they need to play, and what they should be doing. So I do like to look at things from that angle. Other than that, I guess that's basically it. Oh, I should tell you, we have a doghouse, and the doghouse is an area where uh, a player who has been extremely disappointing for a long period of time gets thrown, and until they do something noteworthy, they stay in there. It began a few weeks ago with Robbie Anderson when he kept fumbling the ball and having issues with Sam Darnold finding chemistry early in the year. He got out after having a big two-touchdown game, rocking and rolling, and uh, it was empty for a little while, but you'll never guess who's in it right now. That's right, Spencer Long, and there is no sign of him getting out anytime soon. Another terrible game from him. He lives in there right now. We'll see if uh, if he ever plays another center snap for the Jets again, whether or not he's retired in that. He does play guard also, so there's a chance that he could redeem himself in a different position. I don't really know how that goes, if we retire him as a center and allow him out freedom as a, as a guard, or if we just kind of keep him in there altogether, or if guard play will let him out for his center play. I guess we should give him the benefit of the doubt. And if he can play good guard, whatever, he's got a spot on this team. For the meantime, you know, until he gets that finger fixed, I don't think that uh, he's really worth having there at center. We'll get into that later. All right, without further ado, let's begin. We start with the AFC East. And in this week, week nine, the New York Jets play an AFC East opponent, the Miami Dolphins. This was the Jets' second matchup with the Dolphins. And for the second time, the Jets lose. This time, in Miami, that tissue box of a stadium, Hard Rock Stadium, they lose this one. 6-13. 6-13. to 13. Only a one-score game. They lost by 7. They lost the first time against the Dolphins by 8, 12-20. So I guess technically they're narrowing the gap a little bit. But unfortunately, the offense just continues to not be there. And it was the same case against Miami the first time, but even most recently against the Vikings, against the Bears. I mean, when you think about it, the Jets' defense has been playing very well. Very well. When we go over the statistics later, you'll see just how well they played. But in 6 of the 9 games this year, they've scored 17 points or less. That's crazy. It's 2018 football. Scores are at an all-time high. People are scoring more than ever. Passing league, touchdowns galore. It's kind of what they're trying to get this thing to. They're getting penalties more and more, moving people down the field, getting you in touchdown range. What the NFL wants is a high-scoring league. I mean, it sells better, and that's what they've been pushing towards. You know, they're not going to come out right and say it. They're not going to make the game too lame and lose the integrity of it altogether. But they are pushing in a direction where it's going to allow for higher-scoring games. Because for the most part, I mean, a defensive battle in my mind is awesome. But for the most part, a lot of people want to watch a game that's, you know, 35 to 42. You know, something similar to what the Saints and Rams game was this weekend, rather than watch the Jets play the Dolphins in a 6 to 13 game. It's a lot more exciting, a lot more going on rather than 3 and out after 3 and out. The Jets are having trouble moving the ball, and there's a lot of different parts that go into it. It's our offensive line, it's our run blocking, our running game, it's been injuries, it's been the skill positions that we have, it's been play calling, and it's been... Sam Darnold. It's been a little bit of everything. Nothing's been perfect. It hasn't quite gelled. Every once in a while, it all seems to come together. 
but uh, not this week. And the New York Jets fall to Miami. They were swept on the season by a team that they should have at least been able to win one game against, you'd think, coming into this year. They didn't, and it's a bummer to lose to that team twice, but they're done with them. They haven't played the Bills yet. They haven't played the Patriots yet, but the season with the Dolphins is over. So until 2019, we'll see them later. The Bills are now, or the Dolphins rather, are now 5-4. and four. So they're two games ahead of the Jets, who fall to 3-6. Three 3-6, and, six. Three and six, let's just say it, we're out of the playoffs. Best case scenario, you make the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. It's Best case scenario is a wild card. There's no scenario that the Jets are winning all but one of their games. It gets harder from here. The schedule's actually been easier in the first half. It's going to get much, much more difficult moving down, play the Patriots twice, the Packers, Texans, Titans, and the Bills twice. So there's going to be hopefully a win or two. But it's not looking great. Three and six. We're going to call it what it is. We are out. We're going to evaluate for the rest of the year. We're going to look at the team. We're going to figure out what direction we're going to go in. But that's where we're at. Dolphins, they're five and four. They find themselves in second place. And to who? The New England Patriots, who are seven and two. They're two full games ahead of the Dolphins. They beat a really good opponent this week, the Green Bay Packers, who the Jets play much later in the season. This was a game that a lot of people were looking forward to, a Sunday night matchup. But for the most part, the Patriots handled them pretty well. It was 31-17. to The Packers' offense was held pretty much in check for what you're expecting from a team led by Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, they had a bunch of people healthy for this game, getting guys back, more healthy than the Packers have been. But honestly, the Patriots' defense was a mess at the beginning of the year. But as everybody knows, the Patriots always find a rhythm, and they'll eventually figure out where to put the guys that they have, where to play their pieces. They'll put them in the best position to win. Everyone's going to get a little bit better. And, uh... And that's what the Patriots do. They start slow, they find their rhythm, and they are in it right now. They're beating everybody that stands in their way. They've beaten the Chiefs. Chiefs only loss. They just beat the Packers, putting the Packers in a really tough spot to make the playoffs now. And that's kind of, you know, what's going on with them. The Patriots are 7-2, and two, and I don't see them losing anytime soon. I mean, try to find a team in this league that's going to beat that team. On their schedule, you'll have a hard time. And the Bills, I mean, we can talk about the Bills. They were lost 41-9 to to the Chicago Bears, the same team the Jets lost to last week, but not as bad as 41-9. to The Bills are 2-7, and seven, a game behind the Jets, so there's the bright spot for the Jets season. We are not, uh, we're actually the best team in New York right now, better than the Giants and the Bills. The Bills are 2-7. and seven. They played Nathan Peterman this week because, as we know, Josh Allen, first-round draft pick quarterback, good friends of Sam Darnold. He got injured a few weeks ago. I think it was a UCL elbow injury. They replaced him basically off the streets of Derek Anderson because Nathan Peterman had been just that bad that it's better to play a aging Derek Anderson who was never all that good to begin with. They bring him in. He plays not that well, but probably better than Peterman. Gets injured. Peterman's back in. I don't know how many chances this guy gets. I can't imagine there's not a better free agent guy that you can bring in. I mean, I think you could play Davis Webb or John Walford, one of these guys in the Jets preseason roster, and they'd probably have more success than Peterman. But Peterman's rope continues. He keeps playing, and he keeps losing. I'm not entirely sure yet who the Jets are going to be playing next week when they play the Buffalo Bills, whether it's going to be Josh Allen or Nathan Peterman. But I've said it all year long. If I'm playing the Buffalo Bills, I want to play against Josh Allen because he was a guy that the Jets were looking at, a player that people thought the Jets may potentially draft. I know a lot of people weren't in love with him. He was a super risky pick. Everyone thought he was going to be Hackenberg 2.0, and maybe so. Maybe so. But he definitely has a natural ability. He's got a cannon of an arm. He, uh... He's a good guy. He's usually pretty durable, although he's injured right now. And I'm looking forward to that matchup for years to come. I don't know how long Josh Allen or Sam Darnold will be in the starting lineup, but they are the future of these franchises where it stands right now. 
and watching them play is going to be fun. I think that Sam Darnold's a little bit better than Josh Allen. I think that Sam Darnold will be able to beat Josh Allen, but when it comes down to it, those defenses uh, of these two teams is basically what's going to be going at it. It could easily be an over-under spread of like 22 points for this game, you know, final score of something like 9 to 10. Yeah, it's going to be that type of a game. I would imagine the Bills' defense is actually pretty good. It's a, a pretty underrated crew, even though they got 41 points against them this week. It's really tough when you're not moving the ball. It's the same situation with the Jets. Like, you know, they played really good defense against the Vikings and stuff, but when you're not scoring any points, you're not moving the ball yourself, you're constantly in bad field position, the other team's just bound to score. A couple penalties, a couple plays here and there. You're in field goal range, you're in red zone. That's just what happens. We'll find out next week just who is the better team of the two. All right, so that's what's going on with the AFC East. The Patriots are clearly running away with this thing. The Dolphins are 5-4. and four. You know, they've beaten the Jets twice. That's what's gotten them there to that 5-4 and four record. Uh, they aren't beating teams nearly as well as the New England Patriots are. I don't think anybody really thinks the Patriots are giving that thing up to the Dolphins. But the Dolphins do stay alive in the playoff race. The Jets and Bills are out. We'll continue to monitor the Dolphins' playoff chances as this thing goes on because I don't want them to make it. I know some people are in the camp of, well, the Dolphins are an AFC East team, so let's have the AFC East represented in the playoffs and, you know, prove that we're playing against good teams. I'm not in that boat. I don't like the Dolphins. I don't want the Dolphins to win. They've beaten the Jets in some big games in the past, and they are our rival, and they should not find any more success than the Jets find. If I'm upset at the end of the year, they should be upset too. They should not be laughing at me, gloating for their win. Eventually, we'll be better than both the Bills, Dolphins, and even the Patriots as well, for that matter in the next coming years but for now we unfortunately sit back there uh we're not the laughing stock of the division yet we got to stay ahead of the bills to keep out of that that's where we are and at this point with sam darnold on the roster really i don't believe in tanking to try to get an early draft pick because i think we have the quarterback it's not really what we're looking for anymore at this point what we're looking for is some new skill positions some new talent on this roster a little bit more depth Uh, we need our draft picks to kind of come to fruition a little bit better than they have We need to see our mid-round and late-round picks from Mike McKagan succeed. We need to find some new guys to replace. And uh, that's one of the things that I wanted to kind of discuss this week, and I'll do it before I get into the NFL news, and that's just where the Jets are at in terms of uh, looking at the 2019 season because, yeah, I'm not hitting the panic button yet. It's not any reason to hit it because we didn't have that high of expectations for the team to begin with, but now that the season is basically out of hand and the Jets' playoff chances are over and we can't even pretend that we're trying to do something there, it's worth looking ahead towards next season, and I think it's really important to note a few things. Currently, the New York Jets have the second most cap space for 2019. They're second only to the Colts. Now, this can change as people will be cut and roster changes will be made. But as it stands right now, Jets are going to have about $100 million to spend. That's a ton of money. But on the flip side, the Jets have the least amount of players in the entire NFL under contract for the 2019 season. They only have 29 guys on the current roster that are under contract next year. Tons of expiring contracts. You're talking about guys like Jermaine Curse, Quincy Nunwa, James Carpenter, Kelvin Beecham, Mo Claiborne, Buster Screen. The list goes on one after another after another. Basically, half of this roster isn't under contract for next year. Some of the guys will be brought back, but not all of them. And we can't bring everybody back because we have them on the team right now, and we're a 3-6 and six team. So we obviously need to make a few changes. But we can't be spending too much money too hastily but we do need to upgrade these positions find some new guys sam darnold's got a rookie contract going right now so that helps us gives us a lot more capital for uh, finding new players to at least aid him through his rookie deal but another thing to know in all this is the jets actually have the second youngest roster in the entire nfl as well 
The Colts, the only team with more cap space as of right now for the 2019 season, are the only team that has a younger roster. So when you're looking at this thing, you're seeing a super young team, you're seeing a ton of money to find roster turnover, and you're finding a lot of guys not under contract, so it's going to force that issue. Not only do they have the money to buy new guys, but they have to fill these holes. And they're going to look out for some premier guys. Now, I personally have looked at the 2019 free agent list, and I don't really like the guys that are available. I think that there are definitely some guys worth getting, but I think that overall the 2018 class was a little bit better than what we have going on right now. I know that Mike McCagden had a really, really good uh, free agency his first year. I know that it did set the team back. It caused us to be you know, unsuccessful for future years, but it did lead to Sam Darnold. But right when he got here, he spent all that money Idzik had freed up, and he got guys like Brandon Marshall and Ryan Fitzpatrick and Darrell Rivas back, and the Jets were instantly almost a playoff team. I'm hoping to see him do that again and build a better team around Sam Darnold, give him a chance. But in reality, what we're looking at is potentially a new coach on this team. That's right. Todd Bowles is almost, almost a dead man walking. I think a lot of the fan base basically had it with him. There's no scenario where he ends the season 10-6 and six and, and has a really good winning record or anything like that. We're going to play the Patriots twice. We'll count two losses. We're going to play the Packers. We'll count another loss. You're already a losing record right there. 7-9, best case scenario if you beat the Texans, the Titans, and the Bills twice. You're not going to beat all those teams. The Texans are 6-3 and three right now. Probably won't beat them. So now you're talking about 6-10. and 10. You know, that's just not good enough for this team. We were 5-11 and 11 last year with Josh McCown at quarterback and a pretty similar roster. We didn't lose a ton of pieces. It was a new year. We brought in Sam Darnold, and you know what? He didn't have to start Sam Darnold. If he wanted to keep his job and thought that Josh McCown was a better fit for this team, he had that right to make that decision. But he didn't. He played Sam Darnold, and we are not winning right now. We aren't protecting him the way that we should. We aren't running the ball. Something that, you know, he fired John Morton, our offensive coordinator, because he thought that he didn't run the ball well enough. He didn't ground and pound the way he wanted to do it. Now you got the uh, quarterback's coach, Jeremy Bates, promoted to offensive coordinator, and the Jets are running the ball terribly. It's just embarrassing week after week. No running lanes, nothing going, tons of pre-snap penalties on these guys. They can't snap the ball. The O-line is an absolute train wreck at this point. And it's just not going the way that anybody planned. And so for that reason, Todd Bowles, he's probably out. And if Todd Bowles is out, Jeremy Bates is probably out. And am I upset about it? No, I haven't loved the play calling from Jeremy Bates. I understand that we don't have the horses. I understand that we're dealing with a rookie quarterback. There are a ton of things that are going against him. But in terms of his play calling and stuff, it's easy from a person watching the game to say he's not calling the plays well. But he's not creative enough. He doesn't do uh, he doesn't do enough trickery with the offense that he has. He needs to find ways to get these guys involved. He's not doing it. He he finds one thing and he sticks to it. You know, one week he'll just do screen after screen to the wide receiver. The next week he'll run up the two-hole time and time again with Isaiah Crowell, not getting any yardage. There's just certain things that he's not doing right. We're getting this team stuck in third and longs over and over. We're not moving the ball on first, second, and third down enough. We're constantly having bad field position because of it, getting pinned within our own 15, 20-yard line always. And it's not because the defense is giving up a ton of yardage. They're not. It's because when the Jets are on the on the field with the ball, they're not moving it far enough to punt and put the other team in bad field position. They're always punting to the 40, to the 50, and they're giving the other team the opportunity to punt back to the 15, back to the 10. It's just been ugly all year long, and a coaching change is inevitable at this point. That's what everybody thinks. Unless some sort of miracle ending happens for the second half of the season and Todd Bowles goes on a bit of a tear, it's probably going to be looking at some new guys. And when you're looking at new guys, it's going to be an offensive-minded guy. It's going to help in the you know progression of Sam Darnold, who is the new 
trophy piece of this organization. If the team's going to be good, it's going to go through him. So they're going to try to find a guy who's going to be able to do it. There are some people that are in college, Lincoln Riley and some others, the coach of Stanford that some people are looking at. Then you got some guys within the NFL that could potentially get fired, like Mike McCarthy or Harbaugh. And then you've got, you know, retired guys like Bruce Arians. You got offensive coordinators on teams. Uh, John DeFilippo is a guy from the Vikings that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast as a, as a candidate. These are all people we're going to be looking at. It's not time to look at them too too much yet because there's a lot to go. We don't know the other teams that are going to be looking for coaches. We don't know how many of those guys are interested. They're all Most of them are currently employed by another team, focused on their own season, and we don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the year. we got plenty of time to talk about it, but that's kind of where we're at in terms of the coaching, the roster, you know. It's a perfect time to get a new coach, really. When you've got this young a team with only 29 remaining players on the roster and $100 million to spend, you can build a whole new freaking franchise for whomever you bring in, build it tailored to their needs and their desires and everything, and start doing this thing right with Sam Darnold. And it may actually end up working out, but the right decisions are going to have to be made. That's stuff that we're going to be looking at week after week as the year goes on. All right, so I got a little bit sidetracked there, as I usually do. We're going to go over to NFL news and storylines. This was actually a relatively quiet week overall. There wasn't anything crazy. There weren't any insane injuries. The trade deadline is over, so all that mayhem has stopped. You know, we watched Amari Cooper play his first game with the Dallas Cowboys. He got a touchdown, but the Cowboys lost to the Titans. It was a good showing for Amari Cooper. I think he proved that he deserves to be there, and maybe he's worth that first-round pick for them. At least that's how the Cowboys fans feel at this point in time. But when you're losing, it's still obviously you have other pieces that you need to be fixing on that team. When you want to talk about successful franchises, the New Orleans Saints. This was my Super Bowl pick before the season began. I had them beating the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And currently, the Saints, they're rocking and they're rolling. They just beat the undefeated Rams, took the number one spot in the NFC. I mean, that just kind of goes to show you how quick things change in the NFL. All year long, we've been talking about the Rams. The Rams are the best. The Rams haven't lost. This and that. The Saints are quietly just existing behind them, playing really good football, but they lost the games. They're not getting the same attention that the Rams are getting. All of a sudden, the Saints beat the Rams, and just like that, the Saints are literally ahead of the Rams in the standings. Just like that. The Saints have home field advantage, and the Rams are below them, the number two team. It just happens so quickly, and the Saints are super, super, super talented team. They got great offensive weapons, a good defense. They proved it against, uh, against the Rams, and... You know, I think that just kind of goes to show you for both teams. They both have pretty good defenses. The Rams definitely have a very good defense. But they still gave up over 40 points to the Saints. And the Saints gave up still well over 30 points. And what that means is, basically, when these teams are successful, you may have a great defense. But when you're playing against teams like the Saints, playing against teams like the Rams, who have offenses as explosive as they are, a good defense, it doesn't hold them to 10 points. There's no scenario where you're going to play against the Rams and hold them to seven points, six points, like the Jets were held to. Those teams are offensive weapons, juggernauts. So your defense, yeah, it's super important, but when it comes down to it, you're not going to be stopping a team with an offense like that in this NFL. you got to have an offense that can match them. And that's why the Jets are going to be focusing this thing in an offensive direction. You're kind of seeing it from those two teams right there. Powerhouses of the league. Sure, they got great defenses, but they're getting there through their offense. They're playing these games through their offense, and their defense is hoping to make a play here and there, get them back in the game, big sack, timely interception, though there aren't very many in a game like this because the top, when the Jets are at the top and they're in that upper echelon, the guys that are up there are guys like Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and guys that don't make mistakes and guys that will shred you apart regardless of how good you are for the most part. 
So offensive-minded. That's the moral of that little thing. Jets need to be more offensive-minded. We can't be scoring six points over and over. We can't have 17 points or less in six of nine games. We've had three fun games. Colts, Lions, Broncos. Everything else, geez, can't move the ball. The Bills will be tough to move the ball against because they do have a good defense. But I think we can do it. The Saints are actually number one in the power rankings. And this was something that I want to talk about in terms of news and notes. The Jets' power rankings, not something that I usually look at. It's not super important to me, but I thought it was worth noting. On ESPN, the New York Jets are currently ranked 27 in the power rankings. Why is that interesting? Because going into the season, they were given a 30th overall grade. So what does that mean? It means that ESPN currently thinks the Jets are better than expected. How do we feel within the fan base? Do we feel like the Jets are overperforming? That they're playing better than our expectations? I mean, clearly throughout the league, the Jets were considered to be an absolutely terrible team. Maybe we gave them too much credit. We were predicting six wins. Seven wins, maybe eight. Other teams, they didn't give us that credit. They said, same old Jets, they're not going to do anything. They're going to be the third worst team in the entire NFL. The Jets are not that. They do have the ability to put points up. They do have the ability to beat solid teams. They haven't beaten anybody great yet, but they've beaten some okay teams. The Broncos, the Colts, the Lions, you know, those teams have the ability to play good football. Jets are outperforming expectations in other people's minds. Not ours. It's interesting. The whole Jets fan base is kind of panicking right now because we can't do anything on offense. And it's it's the manner in which we're losing. But we are 3-6. and six, And when the season began, most of us were predicting six wins, seven wins, eight wins, as I said. And we're on pace for five wins, maybe six. Kind of right around there, what we were predicting. But still, it feels like everything is a mess and, and falling we're falling flat on our faces and everything's going terribly. We were never a playoff team to begin with. We were never going to make the playoffs. I didn't predict us to make the playoffs. But still, when you're a fan of a team like this and you put so much into it, it's just devastating to watch them go out and lose to a team that you think you should be able to beat because, yeah, we play against the Dolphins and we're thinking, well, that's a team we should be able to do something against or maybe we could beat the Bears if they don't have Khalil Mack. Maybe we can beat the, the Dolphins earlier or the Browns, things like that. But at the same time, these other teams are playing the Jets thinking, well, we can beat the Jets. You know, they're projected to be terrible this year. Sam Darnold is not having the statistical season that we wanted. He's not making all the right decisions all the time. He's not throwing perfect balls all the time. But when the season began, the gauge for Sam Darnold, in my mind, was playing 14 or more games, getting sacked 40 or less times, and uh, and leading a game or two to a winning drive. And he hasn't done a game or two winning drive yet. He still may. But he's on pace to not be sacked too many times, not because the offensive line is great, although they're better at pass blocking than run blocking, but because Sam Darnold's good at getting out of pressure, he moves pretty well, he's quick with the ball, he'll throw it away, and he makes uh, pretty good decisions within the pocket for the most part in terms of uh, getting sacked. I mean, we remember Geno Smith a few years ago, how often he would roll out 15 yards deep to his right and then basically run out of bounds, not even throwing the ball away. When you're outside of the pocket, you can throw the ball away, but he would just get sacked way deep for minus 15 yards instead of getting rid of it over and over again, and it was like, what the heck are you doing? Sam Darnold doesn't do stuff like that. And that's keeping him from getting sacked, and it's making the numbers look better there. He's not been injured yet, not been too banged up, considering the times that he has been hit. So he's probably on pace to play 14, 15, 16 games, not get sacked too, too many times, be healthy. And, you know, when it's all said and done, it was never supposed to be a winning season, a statistically successful season for Sam Darnold. It was supposed to be a year where he was able to mature and grow and not get too shell-shocked from what the offensive line was unable to do in its blocking schemes. 
It's really not that much more that I wanted to get into in terms of NFL news and storylines right now. I'd rather get going on the New York Jets and what they did this week against the Miami Dolphins, as bad as it was. But first, before that, our favorite section, What's on Tap? That's right, What's on Tap, where I go for the beer that I'm currently drinking. And today, it is something pretty cool that I was uh, pretty lucky to find. Not something I get in the Connecticut area very often. It's called Juice Bomb by Sloop Brewing. Sloop Brewing is in Hopewell Junction, New, J- New York, and uh, they make this beer called Juice Bomb, a Northeastern IPA. They describe it on it as the Sloop Juice Bomb. All the citrusy, juicy flavor of American hops. India Pale Ale, 6.5% alcohol. Yeah, it is uh, It's exactly what it explains to Juice Bomb. This thing is juicy, and it's probably my favorite type of IPA. I like a, a 65 to 7% IPA. New England style, that's super juicy, super citrusy, hazy. It's got that really foggy sort of look inside the glass. And this juice bomb is exactly it. I've had it a couple times before. Uh, my brother-in-law has gotten it when he's traveled around, you know, towards New York and, and places like that. Brought it back for me. I've always loved it. This is the first time I've seen it on a shelf in Connecticut. And when I saw it, I instantly got it. It was like 14 bucks for a four-pack of them. But they are so good. And if you like a citrusy, juicy, hazy beer, this is a really, really good one if you can find it. It is Sloop Juice Bomb. It's got a pretty cool orange can with an orange and like a little dynamite flame wick coming out of it. Like it's about to explode with juice. That's exactly what it does inside your palate. Mmm. Sloop Juice Bomb. That's what's going on right now. If you can find it, pick it up if you like this type of thing. Alright. It's actually probably one of my favorite beers that I've reviewed on this show so far. It was, uh... It's a little bit more special maybe than I'm even giving it credit for. And I'm, I'm giving it, you know, quite a praise. All right, so that is what's on tap. Now we can move over to the New York Jets' loss to the Miami Dolphins, 13-6. to We start with the team stats in this game. The Jets actually played a really good statistical game defensively. They were so close to winning this game. If they had one big play, special teams, defense, if they were able to get anything going on offense, they could have won this game. Because when you look at it, let's look at some of the main factors here. Time of possession, the Jets had more, 31 minutes to 28. First downs. The Jets had 15. The Dolphins had seven first downs in this game. Total. Total. Seven. They had one, they had one rushing first down and six passing first downs. All right? That's insane. The Dolphins were three for 16 on third downs. They did get two fourth down conversions out of their two attempts. The Jets were 0 for 2, you know, coming at the end of the game and stuff as well, so that made it look a little bit worse. But for crying out loud, the Jets had more yards per play, 4.4 to 3.1. The Jets had 202 passing yards. The Dolphins, when you take sacks into account, had 104 passing yards. Jets were double them. The Jets didn't run the ball very well in this game. They only had a 3.8 yard per rush. They had 80 yards. But the Dolphins had 64 yards because they only had a 2.4 yard per carry rush. Penalties. The Jets had 5 for 45. The Dolphins had 5 penalties for 55. When you go through it, it's so many categories the New York Jets absolutely obliterated the Dolphins the Dolphins have 13 points and they did it on four turnovers Jets had four the Dolphins didn't have any turnovers Jets didn't get a single giveaway takeaway rather in the whole game the Dolphins got four and still got 13 points seven of those points came from a pick six take that out of it they had six points with three other turnovers in the game and the Jets in all aspects of this game they actually did throw the ball better yeah it was a little bit uh a little bit reckless from sam darnold at times 
Let's not get too into the interceptions here because a bunch of them came at the end of the game. You had one coming on a 4th and 15 with 3 minutes to go in the game. You had one coming on 4th and 10 with 40 seconds to go in the game. These are plays that you're just trying to make something happen because the game's about to be over. Those were intercepted, so the stats look a little bit worse. But yeah, Sam Darnold did not have a great throwing game in this one. But still, 202 yards to Brock Osweiler's measly 104. The Dolphins weren't able to run at all against the Jets. I mean, this was just a poor offensive game from both teams. As bad as the Jets were, the Dolphins were worse. The Jets' defense deserves credit. Todd Bowles and Casey Riders, they do deserve credit. You know, we can say all we want about this team not winning, how it's not great for Sam, our offense isn't, isn't good. Yeah, I agree. Offense is probably more important right now for this team than the defense, and Todd Bowles is going to be more focused on the defense than offense. There are reasons to want Todd Bowles gone, for sure. But still, this defense is playing great. That's a freaking killer defensive game. You know, the New York Jets had four sacks in this game. Dolphins also had four sacks, but it just, you know, when you look at something like this and you look statistically, if you don't look at the score and you're seeing that, you're saying, wow, the Dolphins must have gotten no points. Then you see the turnovers and you're like, all right, that probably is it right there. Jets needed to put together one, two drives, one big play, two big plays, unable to do it for an entire game. And for that reason, they're three and six. You know, they're second to last in the division behind the Dolphins, swept by the Dolphins, and they're. You know, now the whole fan base is talking about which coaches do we want to get for next year? Where are we going to be drafting? Who are the draft picks we can be looking at? And uh, it's just a bit of a bummer. There's a lot of blame to go around to a ton of different people. You know, you still don't want to have five penalties, but it's not terrible. We've seen the Jets be a lot worse throughout this year. Um, when you're controlling the ball, you're doubling the other the other team in first downs and passing yardage. You're getting more yards per play, more yards per run, yards per pass, everything like that. You know, typically it's good enough, but your offense has to do something. Your offense just has to be a little bit more productive than that. You can't have 282 total yards for the game. Score a ton of points. You got to get takeaways. The Dolphins were getting takeaways. The Jets were not. Anyways, that's what's going on with team stats in this one. Let's move over to player stats, and we start always with our beloved Sam Darnold because as poorly as he's played recently, you can say what you want about his performances. Maybe he's not doing everything you want, but he's freaking Sam Darnold. He was the dream choice to be available at the third overall pick it's his rookie year the youngest quarterback to start a season and we've got a defensive-minded coach and a brand new offensive coordinator and our running back is out and our skill positions and offensive line are weak you know you can go through a million things Sam Darnold's not to be gauged on his statistics throughout these things but we would like to see more from him he does have too many passes especially in this game that are just going away overthrown by too many yards uh, thrown into the dirt short hops um you know, not hitting a receiver in the chest and the hands, but throwing it, making him make a difficult catch. Quincy Nunwa had a, a crazy grab in this game that saved Sam Darnold on the third down. There were a couple plays, you know, went through Eli McGuire's hands on a bad throw. A few other ones, you know, threw it behind Jermaine Curse on the screen, even though Curse should have caught it. Little things like that. He's just not as polished as he'd been earlier. He was looking better in the preseason. Early in this season, he was looking a little bit better in terms of uh, completion percentage and accuracy. So I think that's something that I want to definitely keep my eye on. He wasn't able to find any touchdowns in this game, but uh, even with all those incomplete passes and stuff, he did finish over 50% completion percentage. He's 21 for 39. He had 229 passing yards, no touchdowns, four picks. He was sacked four times for minus 27 yards. Sacked too many times in this game. Cam Wake had a bit of a field day, and Brandon Shell kind of crushed him. Um, and it just wasn't a good performance. There's uh, the only way you can say it. He didn't he didn't capitalize on big play opportunities. His accuracy wasn't great in the, the short yardage game. 
who sacked a little bit too much. He tried to make things happen, wasn't able to do it, and paid the price of turnovers. You can't blame him too much for trying to make it happen late in the game, those two interceptions that came on fourth downs three minutes and in, but the other ones, not great throws, and hopefully he's going to get better from that. He said it himself in his postgame interview. You know, He said stupid decisions, too many of them from him. He's a guy that learns from his mistakes, but we got to see it. And against the Bills, we'll see how he comes back. Is he going to keep scoring 17 or less points game after game? Or is he going to find a way to find a rhythm against the team? Because we play tough defenses this year. You're not going to do a ton against the Patriots. Uh, you're going to play the Packers. These teams are going to control the ball. The Texans have a good defense. Titans defense is pretty good. And the Bills defense is good. There's no really, really weak opponent in there. We're going to say, oh, that's you're playing the Colts. You're going to tear up that defense this week. Those days are over. We had it. We capitalized. But now we got to find it a way to make it happen against a a better defensive unit. Let's get over to the running game. We don't have Bilal Powell this week, right? He's out for the whole season on IR, but Eli McGuire is back from IR. So it's his first action into the game. He does finish behind Isaiah Crowell in carries. Crowell had 13 carries for 49 yards. It's like a 3.8 yard per carry average. Not that good. Not that good a game from Isaiah Crowell, but honestly, he's had much, much worse. He usually averages under 3.2 more than half the time. And uh, 3.8, you know, he had a 12-yard carry in this one. He had a nice play where he reversed field, went back, and Sam Darnold almost made a block but didn't. And uh, it wasn't the worst game for Isaiah Crowell, but, you know, it was definitely nothing to write home about. I thought Eli McGuire actually looked better. He ran seven times for 30 yards, which is over a 4.0 yard per carry average, something the Jets running backs have hardly had this year. Bilal Powell did have it a few times, but he's gone now. And Isaiah Crowell had a few games with massive runs that skewed the stats for him, made it look like he had a higher yard per carry average. But Eli McGuire comes in, seven carries for 30 yards. He had a 14-yard 14, uh, carry in there, which is a pretty good one. He, uh, he had a decent receiving game. He was targeted a few times. I think he, he had a couple really nice blocks, too. He picked up a stunt early in the game that was incredibly impressive. And uh, I don't know, I think that, I wasn't too high on him last year. I wasn't too high on him going into this year either. I thought that if Trenton Cannon played well, Elon McGuire could easily be a guy that was off the roster. But now with Bilal Powell out and your options being guys like Carlos Henderson, who was cut, and Trenton Cannon running the ball, I think Elon McGuire is looking like a somewhat decent option. Isaiah Correll is often on ice skates falling around in the backfield before he even hits the hole, and we need to change the pace running back. And I don't want it to be Trenton Cannon. I don't want it to be a practice squad guy. So Elon McGuire is going to have to be that for Sam Darnold and if he can take a step and be better than he was last year which is solid Eli McGuire was okay as a rookie if he can get to above average average good sort of level he can provide some passing some blocking and uh, run the ball a little bit more consistently you know getting three yards to four yards more often than Isaiah Crowell rather than being like four terrible runs and one big run maybe just getting three yards getting three yards being a guy that you can trust on a fourth and one being a guy that you can trust to catch the ball when it's thrown to him uh, make things happen after the catch Elon McGuire is going to be super important for that. That was basically our entire running game. Sam Darnold didn't run in this one. Robbie Anderson had one run for one yard on a you know play. Credit, I guess, to Jeremy Bates for finally running a, a somewhat of a trick play, trying to do an end around, but didn't work in this one. One yard. At least he got one yard, I guess. 80 total yards of rushing on 20 carries. 21 carries, rather. So actually just under 4.0 yards per carry. And uh, Elon McGuire, definitely the best rushing game. When you go to the receiving game, We'll start with Eli McGuire because we were just on him. He had three catches for 37 yards. He had a 20-yarder in this one. Pretty good play. And he had five targets. So he actually was getting himself used. I mean, Isaiah Crowell, he's on pace for, like, he typically gets what, one catch a game, if that. Sam Darnold doesn't really trust him. They don't throw to him too much. He's not really a third-down guy. 
He's not great at catching the ball. Uh, Eli McGuire already proved to be better than that. Three catches in this one. Who's our third leading, re- leading receiver with the 37 yards? And it's good to see that because we're going to need it with Bilal Powell out. Someone's going to have to step into that role. And Trenton Cannon's like almost exclusively been a receiving back when used by the Jets. And you saw that once Eli McGuire came in there and was able to do it, Cannon was basically out. Cannon did have one catch in this game for 15 yards on his one target, but didn't run the ball at all and was used very, very seldom. Isaiah Crowell, he did have his one classic one catch for 11 yards, two targets, kind of what you expect from him. But he's never going to have that, you know, that big receiving game. He's never going to have a ton of catches unless a defense is just completely unprepared for it and Sam Darnold keeps checking down over and over. But Eli McGuire, Eli McGuire, good to see that from him. Your leading receiver for the Jets in this game, in terms of receptions and yardage, was Chris Herndon. Believe it or not, the guy that's gotten a touchdown in the past three games didn't get a touchdown in this game, but he had four catches, which was the most on the team, tied with Robbie Anderson, for 62 yards, most on the team. He had the longest pass play of the game, 28 yards. And now he had those four catches and those 62 yards on four targets. Every time it was thrown to him, he made something happen. Chris Herndon's a guy that's actually kind of catapulted himself to the front of this offense right now. Nobody seems to be able to get anything done. Quincy Noon has been injured. Robbie Anderson, inconsistent. Jermaine Curse seems to have taken a step back. Maybe a nagging injury is keeping him from being what he was last year. Maybe uh, Sam Darnold doesn't have the same chemistry McCown had with him. But Chris Herndon's a guy that Sam Darnold's building a chemistry with. And I said it last week that Herndon's been pretty good in the red zone. He's been getting touchdowns week after week. But I'd like to see him do something between the 20s. And this is a week that he did it. We weren't ever in the red zone in this game. Terrible offensive game. So he did it between the 20s. 62 yards. And if you can get that on four targets to your tight end, I'm going to be happy with that 10 times out of 10. 10 times out of 10. You can't be upset with that performance. Another great week for Chris Herndon. Happy to see the rookie, a guy that I wasn't expecting to be as successful as he was, as he's been his rookie year. is an awesome, awesome first half of the season. Quincy Nunma, a guy I just said has been injured a bit this season. He's back this week. It was a bit, a bit of a, a shocker in this one. We knew that the turf was terrible in Miami after the uh, Miami U game. And these guys, Quincy Nunma and Robbie Anderson, are coming back from ankle injuries, and you're thinking, oh, there's no way they're going to play with this terrible turf. They're just going to get injured. They're going to keep them out. But you find out before the game, Anunma and Anderson are playing. So we're all stoked because, yes, finally we have weapons back for Sam Darnold. Finally we'll be able to play an offensive game that is a little bit better than what we did last week when we didn't have anybody. What were we supposed to do? It didn't make it any better. But Quincy Nunma, he did have three catches for 40 yards, four targets. He had a 23-yarder, which was badass, where he just bulldozed through people. He did his classic freight train Quincy Nunma play. We just smashed through people and took like five, six guys to tackle him. He kept going. His yard after contact in that one was like 18 yards. And that was a freaking sweet, sweet play when the Jets offense had been so stagnant all game. It got everybody fired up on that one. I think we were all on our feet. Then you had another really nice grab on a third down. I mentioned before that uh, was thrown off off target by Sam Darnold, but Quincy Nunma made a, a nice stretch grabbed it, pulled it in, secured the catch, and that was super important for the New York Jets. Good to see those plays from Quincy Nunma. He's going to be a free agent next year. He's a guy that right now I think I'd like to re-sign for a team-friendly contract, but he's been injured so much that if he can't get that stuff together, it's going to be hard to trust him and give him a contract. If he can play the rest of this year at a pretty high level, healthy, you know, you try to give him one of those team-friendly deals, you know, a hometown rate hopefully from Quincy Nunma, he would take a little bit of a pay cut to play here with us. But if he gets injured a lot, you're eventually going to have to be like, all right, Sam Darnold's never going to be good if his receiver's playing eight or so of the games out of 16. You're going to have to, guy that's, you're going to, have, to have a guy that's out there, so you're not playing these games with Deontay Burnett and Rashard Matthews and Andre Roberts as your main receivers. You don't want that to happen ever again. you got to play your games. Quincy Nunez got another chance to be healthy this year, finish out the second half strong, 
Hopefully he can do it. Then for your other almost doubtful guy for this game, Robbie Anderson. Four catches for 32 yards on six targets. He actually had a lot of catches on short little uh, flat routes and, and quick slants and things. He had a lot of short stuff that gave him a couple opportunities deep. He was not able to bring in any of those ones. His long in this game was 17 yards. A lot of it came on a yard after catch. Not a great game from Robbie Anderson, but in the game where the offense was so terrible, it was one of the better performances, I guess. He was the second best receiver in this one, you know, if you're not counting tight ends. Jermaine Curse in this game is three catches for 20 yards. Nothing impressive there, but on nine targets. Nine targets for Jermaine Curse, only three catches. He had some drops. He uh, was out of bounds on one play. It was thrown to him, and he was standing out of bounds. Didn't have great awareness there. It actually was a pretty, for a guy that's usually super polished, super clean as a receiver, a true veteran, a guy that kind of understands the game. This was a very, very sloppy game for Jermaine Curse overall. One of the worst games I've ever seen him play as a Jet. Maybe the worst. And I think that maybe there's a nagging injury going on with him, and he's a little bit shaken up, but hopefully he can get that back because he's a guy that usually is kind of like a security blanket wide receiver, a guy that runs pretty good routes, plays tough, pretty quick, but will jump up and get the ball, catches almost everything, and he's supposed to be really helpful for Sam Darnold. I mean, he was great for Josh McCown. Really good. He just hasn't quite found it yet with this team, this new offense that we've got going on. Other than that, you had... Eric Tomlinson, he had a catch for six yards, two targets. One of those was intercepted, the the one that wasn't caught. So he had that one catch for six yards. Nothing special there. Tomlinson is just losing stock every single week. Then you had Jordan Leggett. Wow, he had two targets in this game. He also had one catch for six yards, so about the same as Eric Tomlinson, a purely blocking tight end, had the same receiving game as Jordan Leggett. Jordan Leggett still uh, is having trouble with this offense getting anything done. You see Chris Herndon come out here like nothing. And, and find success in his rookie season. Jordan Leggett's been injured, and he finally comes back. He's able to play, and he, he doesn't find anything going on this offense. I think that if Neil Sterling was healthy and played in this game, he was one of our few injured offensive players. You know, marked injured. We have guys playing injured, but a guy that actually couldn't play. Neil Sterling, he's actually a decent receiving option at tight end and uh, probably would have been a little bit better than those guys, but it wouldn't have changed much on offense. We couldn't get anything going, and Neil Sterling wasn't going to be the answer. Sam Darnold's buddy from college, Deontay Burnett, he had two targets but didn't catch anything, so he had a very quiet game overall. You didn't see any Sharon Peak or Andre Roberts because you had your guys back, your Quincy Nunwa and Robbie Anderson. So those guys were moved down a spot. Shard Matthews, not really involved in this game plan. It was a, uh, you know, 229 yards. It actually was like Sam Darnold's third most passing yards in any game this season. Uh, the only games he's had more, I think, was uh, probably the Colts if I'm remembering correctly, but the other one was the Dolphins, where he had a ton of passing yards against the Dolphins. And uh, so this is a team that he's had good yardage against, but in this one he just had too many turnovers, couldn't get the touchdowns, and, you know, 229 yards for a rookie quarterback, it's not terrible. I've seen a lot worse. Um, you can't say that, oh, it all came in garbage time because the Jets have played a lot of garbage time so far this year, basically six games worth, and uh, for Sam Darnold's numbers, a lot of his play and yardage has come in garbage time. This was still his third best passing yardage performance of the season. So maybe he's finding a little bit of stuff. I think a lot of that has to do with Herndon and him having the ability to you know, get that 62 yards on those four targets. And Eli McGuire coming back, getting 37 yards there from a new guy. You, know, you have about 100 yards between the two, which is almost half of your offensive production in the passing game. So that's what you have going on there. Your, your offensive line, Sam Darnold was sacked four times, which is more than average for the New York Jets this year. It was a pretty bad game for the offensive line overall. The running was a little bit better than it had been against the Bears, and even before that because we did have about almost four yards per carry average. You know, Eli McGuire was able to get over four. 
Isaiah Correll just under, so the run blocking was a little bit better than it's been, even though the Miami defensive line isn't as stout up the middle as the Bears is. But the pass blocking, Sam Darnold was sacked four times, more than usual, way more than you want any quarterback sacked in a game. Brandon Shell had trouble with Cameron Wake, who has basically been a jet killer and AFC killer for his entire career. I don't know what the numbers are, but I wouldn't be surprised if Cameron Wake had the most or almost the most sacks against the Jets in, in team history. Because that guy just seems like every year he just terrorizes us. And you had some penalties in the offensive line. You had Spencer Long unable to snap the ball again. I saw on uh, Twitter somebody said that he had like 15 of his snaps in this game were bad snaps, which is absurd. I mean, a couple of these, one of them led to an interception. The one that was thrown to Eric Tomlinson. A bad snap there basically caused Sam Darnold to get the timing off rush and then throw an interception there. One was snapped way over Sam Darnold's head, and luckily he's quick enough and smart enough to pick up the ball really fast, roll outside of the pocket, and throw it past the uh, line of scrimmage to not get a... Uh, intentional grounding. We had some penalties in the other guys. Uh, we weren't able to uh, to get outside too much in the running game. We weren't able to bust very many big runs. There were a few nice blocks from guys. But just not, you know, the, the offensive line has been nothing special all year long. Usually pretty good pass blocking, terrible run blocking in this game. A little bit better run blocking, a little bit worse pass blocking. But it's still a below average unit. And, you know, a lot of these guys are going to have to be replaced. And you saw Jonathan Harrison come in late in the game. And Todd Bowles finally, after so many bad snaps, made the decision to get Spencer Long out of there for crying out loud. I had him in the doghouse weeks ago. We all did. We had him in the doghouse way back when. I don't know why Todd Bowles is finally putting him in there now. The guy's got an injured finger, he's saying, but if you've got an injured finger and it's causing you to miss snap 15 of your snaps, then why are you playing? Jonathan Harrison played last week, didn't have really any bad snaps, and uh, no, the running room wasn't there, but he had Akeem Hicks on him all game, and it was a tough go in the running game, but he didn't play terrible pass blocking. And at least he snapped the ball. At least he didn't cause turnovers or terrible over the over Sam Darnold's head snaps. So I have a feeling that Jonathan Harrison's probably going to start next week. I think that at this point, with Brian Winter's struggles, he's a guy that, as big as he is with those huge arms and how much he's worked out and tried really hard to get in great shape, Brian Winters gets like bull rushed back time and time again, constantly getting pushed back into the pocket, making holes for everybody else to blitz, creating huge gaps. And uh, it's a, it's actually a big problem for the New York Jets right now. So Brian Winters, he's going to have to hold his block a little bit better. And if not, then I think you have to consider putting Spencer Long in at right guard to play where Brian Winters has been, replace him to see if Spencer Long can do it. Because Long probably can't play center for this Jets team, and we probably have to get a new one. We're seeing that now. All right. Spencer Long has a contract that we can cut him right now and own basically nothing, or we can keep him on the roster for next year making $7 million. Now we're going to have to decide, do we want him? That comes from his depth and what he's able to do. Is he able to play guard at a high enough level? Well, let's get him in there and let's see. And if Brian Winters is sucking over and over, it's time to send a message to these guys, try something new, and see if we can get something going. You know, if it doesn't work, you can always go back to Brian Winters where his feeling's going to be hurt. I'm not too worried about that. I'm more worried about finding a successful way to move the ball in the running game, set up shorter second downs, shorter third downs, and protect Sam Darnold for the remainder of this season. Okay, whoa. Slow down. Let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. All right, we'll start on the defensive line here. Your leading uh, defensive line play came from Leonard Williams. He did have a tackle for a loss in this game. He didn't have any sacks, but he had that tackle for loss. He had four tackles in this one. He had his presence felt. He made a couple nice plays and was uh, was active you know, for a defensive lineman. And it's been quiet for him, I think, for a lot of the season. But when you look at the other side, Nathan Shepard's done really nothing. 
And Henry Anderson had a very, very good start to the season, but most recently has really, really quieted down. And Henry Anderson in this game, you know, you're looking at uh, two tackles. No tackles for loss, no sacks. It's fine. You play a 3-4, you're not expecting your defensive ends to get a ton of that. Your other guy, Nathan Shepard, is not even showing up on the stat sheet. He had in the middle, he had McClendon, he had a couple nice run stuffs. We did play the run extremely well, so the defensive line does get credit for that. We played the defensive, uh, we played the run super, super well. 62 yards against a team that basically wanted to run the ball down our throats, wasn't able to do it. We bottled up Kenyon Drake, who gave us trouble the first time. Frank Gore, he had a, a few nice bruising runs, but overall, you know, we keep him to like 62 yards. You can't be upset with your defensive line on that, because a lot of it comes from them. So pretty solid. Mike Pinnell, he did not have the game he had last week at all. He had one tackle. He had a bad penalty on special teams. Step back for him. Uh, kind of steps back into uh, his original form from what we've seen. That's the defensive line. Not too much going on there. Just clogging up the middle, being the anchors that we needed in a 3-4 defense to stop the run. Good game. Uh, not a ton of pass rush, but, you know, I guess it's expected. When your defensive line is holding the uh, the middle down like that, anchoring and stopping the run, plugging the gaps, in a 3-4 defense, what do you want? You want your outside linebackers to find success rushing, something the Jets don't usually have. We all know that an edge rusher is extremely important for this team, and we've had a little bit of success from guys on the outside. You know, quietly, Brandon Copeland's had a pretty solid season. Luvu's gotten some quarterback hits. Jordan Jenkins here and there is getting sacks. But in this week, you had a really good outside linebacker performance in the crew. You had three sacks there. You ended up getting, uh, you ended up getting two. From Jordan Jenkins, who, a guy that's usually known for, for bull rushing every time over and over the tackle. He actually did a nice swim move past the first defender in this one, or offensive player, offender, I guess. Swim move past the first guy, bull rush the second guy, get a sack. Did basically the same sort of play earlier. Had another sack there. Two sacks for him. Great game, multi-sack game. Always happy with that from your outside linebacker. Jordan Jenkins is basically an edge setter on this defense. And when you're getting sacks, doing it, setting your edge, uh, that's a good game. That was basically his uh, big involvement in it, but he did have a few other tackles, ended up with five, which is more than you usually see from him. And you had uh, Jeremiah Tachu. He also had a sack, another outside linebacker. You know, he had two tackles in this game, but a nice sack to see from him, uh, a quiet guy that we picked up that's been a decent addition for this team and has actually provided a little bit of a spark in the, you know, the pass rush game where we've been really, really quiet all year. And we knew we had to look for a guy and, you know, credit to the defense for finding ways to get sacks. It's not as embarrassing as you'd think it'd be when you're looking at the at the preseason. You're like, I don't know, 20 sacks total for this team. And sure, we're not probably going to have any double-digit sack artists on this roster by the end of the year. We're going to have a big collective unit, and I think potentially we could get over, you know, 35 sacks or something, which I don't think we were expecting going into this year. We'll see what happens in the weeks to come. But uh, the rest of your outside linebackers, Brandon Copeland, he had a quiet game in comparison to what he's done. He had two tackles. He was out there a little bit, getting some stuff done, and uh, that was about it for your outside linebackers. Luvu didn't play in this one, a little bit banged up. Then you go over to the middle linebacker, and you had a really, really nice game from Avery Williamson. He had 12 tackles, led the team by far, five more than the next most. He had a sack. He was stopping the run. He was a big, big reason that the running game wasn't able to get anything done. That guy is a run-stopping fiend absolute animal when it comes to that stuff really happy with the performance in this one uh he did have the sack so he you know we've kind of become accustomed to most games Avery Williamson makes a big play forced fumble an interception uh something like that in this game he gets a sack you know true to what he's done for the Jets you know he had a he had an off week last week where he didn't get much done but overall he's been one of the bright spots in the defense one of the best players we have on this team 
Luckily, he's under he's one of the guys that's under contract for next year. He's actually got two more years on his deal, so that's good. The other guy, Darren Lee, not as good a game, but all right. He had six tackles. He did have a tackle for a loss, which was nice. Nice play getting into the backfield, getting the guy down. But Darren Lee, I still am having issues with him because for a middle linebacker, he almost refuses to have any nice gap rush hit on any running back. So running backs are constantly running up these holes, and he's you know, he's got gap assignments, and he's supposed to go up this hole, and if the running back goes there, a lot of times there's an opening, and he always does an arm tackle from the side. He never meets the guy head-on. He's a linebacker, for crying out loud, and he's a much, much worse tackler than Jamal Adams, who wasn't great at tackling last year, but he's much better this year. Darren Lee's a worse tackler than Marcus May. Honestly, in terms of form and stuff, Darren Lee's been a worse tackler this year than Mo Claiborne. I'm serious. He's been a worse tackler in terms of form than Mo Claiborne, for the most part. Mo Claiborne had a terrible blown tackle in this game but you know Darren Lee does that stuff too and the guy just refuses to play with an edge we've always said it. he doesn't have an edge what's missing you know he's, he does not have in that he has a couple interceptions this year which has gotten everybody a little bit higher on than they should be but for the most part when he's playing out there he's lacking an edge he doesn't have the aggression that we need and he's a guy that you know if he can't start finding a way to make it down in the run game because he's not the best cover middle linebacker in the league right he's not a great blitzer he's not great at stopping the run so I know he's calling the defenses for Todd Bowles, a guy that may not be there next year, but if he can't get much more going, then, for crying out loud, he may be on his way out. You gotta think. The uh, the rope ends soon. Alright, so that's your middle linebackers for the most part. You had a little bit of play from, like, Neville Hewitt and, and stuff, but nothing crazy. Your defensive backs? How can you be upset? How can you be upset with the performance from your defensive backs when you had absolutely nothing going from the passing game of Miami Dolphins? Brock Osweiler... 15 for 24, 139 yards. He had a 25.7 quarterback rating. Now, they didn't have any picks. He was sacked four times. Some good coverage sacks because they weren't, a lot of those weren't um, unblocked blitzes where guys just firing up the hole. You know, Avery Williams' was pretty quick, but it took a while for Jordan Jenkins to get there on both of his, and Atachu didn't get there too quick, but coverage was good all game long. It was a good game from the the cornerbacks. We're still playing without Tremaine Johnson. He's uh, not come back yet. I'm still expecting, I think after the bye, he's probably where we're going to see him come back. Um, he says that he wants to be back. But at the end of the day, it's not his decision. It's the doctor, so he's not playing. You're still starting Daryl Roberts, who's been really good this year. He's done his assignments well. Uh, you didn't see a big game from any of the receivers from the Dolphins. I mean, their leading receiver was, let's see, Danny Amendola, five catches, 47 yards, followed by Kenyon Drake, four catches for 26. Other than that, not a single receiver on the team had more than 20 yards. That includes Kenny Stills, Grant, Parker. Their tight end didn't have a single catch in this game. So, yeah, the pass defense was great. Like I said, great defensive performance all around. The linebackers got plays. They made plays. Four sacks from your linebackers. Your defensive line stopped the run. Your defensive backs allowed nothing in the passing game. But still, unfortunately, the offense kept to this point and you're wondering why Jamal Adams is saying stuff in the press like he's so frustrated um you know he wants to he wants to win he's tired of losing he doesn't like this doesn't like the feeling well go figure nobody likes the feeling of losing I think he should just shut his mouth and play the game at the end of the day he's not as bad as think how bad the uh, Giants are doing or think how bad the Bills are doing or Raiders or 49ers there are teams that are in much worse shape than the New York Jets not a ton of them but there are a handful of teams that are in much worse shape would you rather be on one of those rosters yeah, in a perfect world, he'll be on a Super Bowl roster. It'll be amazing. They'll win every game. So good. But come on. One team wins. At the end of the year, you're always going to have that sour taste in your mouth unless you're winning the Super Bowl. So I think he should just kind of wait 
the whole thing out. He knows the process. He knows what's going on. We're the second youngest team in the league. Come on, dude. Get with the program. There are all these rumors coming out now. Maybe Jamal Adams wants to go play for the Cowboys when his rookie contract is done in 2020. All this stuff is ridiculous. I don't know what he's going to do. I can't tell. He's kind of a loose cannon, a guy that plays with the big edge and passion. Maybe he'll chase money. Maybe he'll chase rings, popularity, stardom, fame, whatever. I'm not sure if he's going to be a true jet loyal to our team or if he puts his own interests ahead of us. But right now he's on our roster, and he's playing damn good football. He had a great game in this one. Jamal Adams is our second leading tackler. He had a tackle for a loss, getting in the backfield, making a nice tackle. He had a couple nice third down stops, busted up a screenplay. He had two pass deflections. He was all over the field, a menace, played great safety, coming up at the line, staying back, doing a little bit of everything. Seven tackles, right? Second most in the team. The guy can do it all. Week after week, he's showing that he's basically our best defensive player. And probably, if I'm being honest at this point, Jamal Adams, I think, is the best player on the New York Jets roster. And that's something that last year, he was good. He was a B player, B-plus player. He got a little bit more credit than he deserved. But he had trouble tackling, a lot of arm tackles, wimpy stuff like that. Uh, Made a few mental mistakes. Was a little bit... You know, too big for his britches at times, getting all excited and amped up when it wasn't quite earned yet. But at this point, second season in the league, he's playing the best football we've seen from a safety on the New York Jets in a very long time. He's absolutely rocking out there, and we do have him under contract without him doing anything. Nothing he can do for, he's got this year, he's got two more, team option after that probably, you know. He's going to be on this team for a while. We're going to get a good a good portion of Jamal Adams' career. Don't worry about that. When it's uh, time to get a deal done, very possible they work something out. Marcus May, he had a pretty good game. He's still not returned to the form that he was at last year. He's not really progressed on where he was, but he's playing good football still. You know, again, when you're talking about 126 yards of passing from uh, Brock Osweiler, I know it's Brock Osweiler. He's nothing special. It's 139 yards, rather. I know Brock Osweiler's not a great quarterback, but when you're playing a team and you're shutting them down as dominantly as the defense did in this game, and the only touchdown they got was on defense. You know, your offense gave up six points, and there were four turnovers in this game that helped the Dolphins score, you know, six points. Well, 13 points, all the points. When your offense can't get anything done and you're holding them like this over and over again away in Dolphins Stadium, everybody played good football on the defense for the most part. You can't find a lot of things to be upset with. You know, Darren Lee's edge is there. Marcus May, he only had two tackles, but what's the free safety to do in a game where the ball's not being thrown deep? The longest pass in this game for the Miami Dolphins was 26 yards to Danny Amendola. Other than that, there's one 19-yarder to Stills, a 16-yarder to Grant. Everything else was short yardage. Your free safety, his role is minimal. They weren't chucking the ball deep. Nobody burned him. Good game overall. No big penalties, nothing like that. So that's what you have. Special teams. Uh, It was a pretty good game from Jason Myers, who's been consistent all year. He did miss a kick in this one, which is disappointing. He'd been so good all year, but uh, he did miss a kick. He'd had like 11 11 or 12 in a row when he missed this one. But he did make a really long 56-yard kick. We only got six points in this game. All of it came from Jason Myers. Uh, Pretty long kicks in this one, too. Two for three. That was our six. Andre Roberts, he did a decent return. He had a nine-yard return. In the punting game, he didn't have any kick returns. We've been doing a lot of touchbacks. I think uh, Brant Boyer in the special teams unit basically says, you know, start the ball at the 25-yard line because in reality, 25-yard line is so much better than we start most drives. So if they're scoring 25-yard line, whoo, yeah, it's 10 yards further than average for this team probably. 
No kick returns, but punt returns, two for 17 yards for Andre Roberts. No fumbles, so that's good. He didn't break that big gainer. We really could have used it in a game with no offense, but it didn't come. I think the punting game overall for Lock Edwards was actually pretty impressive. He punted the ball six times for 277 yards, so he had to punt the ball a lot. He didn't have any touchbacks. He did have one inside the 20. 60 was his long. He averaged like 47 yards per punt. And uh, it was one of his more consistent performances of the season, I would say. He did punt the ball six times, so there was, you know, a little bit of room for error in there. But he usually has a couple flounders of kicks or bad snaps, something like that, where things just go array a little bit. In this game, he booted the ball pretty well. His first two kicks were super, super deep, you know, that 60-yarder and another over 50. And then I think that they realized they were maybe out-kicking the coverage just a little bit, and he said, all right, I'm booting the ball a little too far because... In reality, just because you can kick the ball 65 yards, it's not necessarily the best thing you can do. A line drive is easily returnable, and uh, when you got a guy like Grant and, and the special teams unit of the Dolphins, you got to definitely be wary of that. So I think he dialed it back a little bit, kicked a little shorter, and you saw your special teams guys, Trenton Cannon and Sharon Peak, consistently the first guy down on punts, causing the fair catches when uh, Lock Edwards dialed it back a little bit. And uh, it was a good game. Good game overall from him. Let's pick our players of the game in each phase. If we're going offensive player of the game, you're looking at a couple of guys, you're thinking maybe Chris Herndon, maybe Eli McGuire. Eli McGuire's first game back, so I'm going to give him a little bit of time to get completely acclimated to this offense, figure out exactly what Jeremy Bates is running. It's Chris Herndon for me in this one. Again, four catches on four targets for 62 yards, leading the team in targets, or leading the team in receptions, leading the team in receiving yards. Uh, making things happen between the 20s in a game where you can't get anything going on offense. 62 yards was the most for any offensive player on the entire team, other than, of course, the quarterback, Sam Darnold. And Chris Herndon has done it week after week. And I think you get a little bit of, like, uh, carryover from the week before. If you were hot then and you're still hot now, you get a little bit more. And so he's doing it. When you're talking the offense, one of the only bright spots right now, only hot streaks we got going on, it's Chris Herndon. Defense, you want to pick a defensive player of the game. A couple of guys you can look at. Jamal Adams constantly there big pass deflections all over the field but I got to give it to Jordan Jenkins because he's a guy that doesn't usually get multi-sack games you know he's good for four four and a half five sacks a year that's what he's shown in his couple seasons with the Jets but a multi-sack game in this one getting a Brock Osweiler getting it done beating the coverage working past two guys impressive game from him also had more tackles than usual Jordan Jenkins deserves credit for what he did because you don't see a lot of multi-sack games from this Jets team and uh, especially not at the outside linebacker position, something we've all been complaining about for, you know, since the offseason. So it goes to him. Special teams. I'd like to give it to Jason Myers because he had a 56-yard kick, which is super impressive, but he really shanked one to the right. And uh, because he missed that and was two for three, got to give it to Locke Edwards. He was asked to punt the ball a lot in this game, and he punted it well. No blocks, no really ugly punts, no touchbacks, one side of the 20, Overall booting it, kicking it where he wants. Not a lot of big returns, and uh, I think he did a good job. So Locke Edwards, for the first time this year, gets player of the game. Check in on the doghouse. Spencer Long, go figure he's staying in there. Nothing happening there. And, uh, yeah, like I said earlier, no sign of him coming out anytime soon. So that's what's going on with this game against the Miami Dolphins. Jets lose 6-13, to drop to 3-6. and Dolphins go to 5-4. and And we have finished our season series with our rival, Miami Dolphins. Losing it, two to zero. Dolphins win. We'll do a quick preview of next week. Buffalo Bills' offense has been struggling a ton of recent. They've obviously had no consistency at quarterback. Josh Allen's been injured. They tried Derek Anderson. Nathan Peterman is an absolute mess. 
It could be Nathan Peterman again. Josh Allen is still banged up. Recent news says that Allen's progressing very well, and there's a chance he could play Week 10. But as of right now, no way to know for sure. If it's Nathan Peterman, the Bills are going to have a very, very hard time scoring on this New York Jets defense. Maybe there's some big plays, maybe big turnovers or something like that that, that change things a little bit. But if you're just talking, you know, 80-yard drives, I don't think the Bills are going to get really any with Nathan Peterman playing. If Josh Allen's in there, a different story. Because Josh Allen, he's not proven anything yet. No, he's not some superstar, but gosh darn it, he is so much better than Nathan Peterman. Obviously, he can throw the ball better, he can move better, he's more athletic, quicker with the ball, everything. Nathan Peterman is basically the worst I've ever seen as a uh, quarterback in the league. It's going to be a much different game. It'll be a real game if Josh Allen plays. If Nathan, Peter, Nathan Peterman plays, I think it's just going to be super, super ugly. And if the Jets can get anything going on offense, it'll be a win. Hoping Josh Allen plays. I'd love to see that rivalry begin. I'd love to see him up against Darnold. Compare their stats directly, see who's got a better game, and, uh, you know, start the debate. Their running backs, Chris Ivory, former Jet, he's there. Sean McCoy ahead of him. McCoy is a sneaky guy. They play a lot of wildcat because of their troubles at quarterback. Uh, so, you know, you'll see a lot of uh, LaShawn McCoy. Not a lot, but a few times throughout the game, McCoy will probably take a snap and run. Those plays are nothing crazy. Usually the guy that catches the ball on the snap, the running back goes straight up the one or two hole. So not a huge uh, surprise there, but they run a lot of those. They do uh, a bunch of checkdowns and, and screen passes to LaShawn McCoy because he's a very quick and good receiving back. Something that you got to watch out for. Chris Ivory, he's a good bruiser as we know from his days with the Jets. At receiver, they don't have anything special. Their best receiver is Kelvin Benjamin. He's a guy that's a free agent next year, and the Jets are definitely looking at as an option to come in for a receiver. I think he's one of the guys on my short list for free agent opportunities. There's not a ton of receivers if you look at the list. I don't think, oh, Kelvin Benjamin. He's just a weight-fluctuating guy who's not been consistently good in the NFL. Starting to get a little bit older now. He's not the young guy that he was playing with the Panthers his rookie year. But at the end of the day, when you look at the list of receivers that are available, he's a big guy. He's a target, at least for Sam Darnold, that would be very helpful for him, and he's one of the better ones that are going to be there. So hopefully he's a guy that uh, the Jets will be looking at. We'll get a chance to see him firsthand against the Jets this year. I think that we match up pretty well because we've got good long-armed corners, especially Mo Claiborne, who will probably be on him. we got guys like Zay Jones and, and some other receivers who have not found a ton of success in this stagnant Bills offense, similar to the Jets. I don't think it'll be tough for the defensive backs to cover them. Defensively, though, you got some really good players on defense. So they got good guys on the defensive line, although they're aging. You know, guys like Kyle Williams, Jerry Hughes, we know those names well. They have Star Latulale on the team now. And then linebacker, they got that young guy, Tremaine Edmonds, who was a first-round pick this year. Really good. Questionable for the game right now. Lorenzo Alexander, he's a little bit older, but he's proven to be uh, one of the better sack guys in the league of the recent years. He's got like four and a half so far this year. We'll see what he can do. They have pretty good safeties on the team. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. And then uh, Tredavious White is a good cornerback. He's getting better every year. It was his first year last year, improving on it this year. Philip Gaines, another one of their cornerbacks. I think that's probably the weak spot of the defense as well as their uh, their slot guy. Tredavious White's going to be tough to throw on. Not sure who's gonna, who he's going to match up with. But if you can keep the pass rush of the Buffalo Bills off and you know, hopefully you can run the ball, it's going to be tough on that front. Latulale, Jerry Hughes, and Kyle Williams is going to be tough to run on those guys. But if you can get moving a little bit, and you can stand up right in the pocket, that's going to be your opportunity. Uh, finding some big plays, yards after catch, that's what the Jets are going to have to do. It's not a super fast defense overall. Tremaine Edmonds is very fast. But, uh, you know, it can be exploited. It can be beaten. 
They are good, though. They don't have a, a glaring weakness when you look at the defense because they do have good talent in the secondary. They have good talent on the defensive line and at linebacker. You may notice a guy, yeah, Julian Stanford. He's on the team now. He was an ex-Jet, someone that uh, was never all that all that good for us, but a solid, I guess, backup uh, middle linebacker for us. He's over there. That's basically what you got going over there. This is going to be a 1 o'clock game on CBS, I believe. It's going to be a 1 o'clock game played at MetLife Stadium. So this is the Jets' home game versus the Bills. Luckily, we don't have to deal with the Bills Mafia this week. Maybe we can get back on track and get a win here and, and calm the fan base just a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be an offensive performance. That's what we really need to calm everybody down. You know, if the Jets come out and lay 9 points or less, 10 points or something, it's going to be an absolute mutiny against the offensive coordinator from the fan base. I'd be surprised if Jeremy Bates keeps his job after something like that. But, uh, you know, I honestly think that we'll score more than 9 points. Hopefully we can get more than 17 points, which we've only done 3 times this year. It's going to be a little bit of tough going. If I was picking an over-under, yeah, honestly I'd probably pick, you know, 23, 24 points, which in this NFL is absurd. But how can you really expect big scoring from either one of these teams in this game? They're just not seeing it. I'd like to see Eli McGuire get on track in this game. Hopefully get a little bit more carries. You know, he got half of what Isaiah Crowell got, and I thought he proved to be a better blocker, better receiver, and even better running the ball. So I'd like to see Isaiah Crowell get more carries than Isaiah Crowell, or I'd like to see Eli McGuire get more carries than Isaiah Crowell in this game, or at least close to even. Receiving, let's see if Chris Herndon can keep it up. Can he keep his hot streak going? The chemistry with uh, Sam Darnold. Can the receivers stay healthy? Quincy Nunn will get back to where he was, completely healthy. Will Robbie Anderson, you know, will he be able to beat anybody deep again? That's really what his huge thing is, right? His whole reason to be on this team. He's okay as a receiver, like, at the other routes, probably well below average. But what he really brings to the table is a, a ability to run deep, blast downfield, and uh, take the cover off a of defense. We'll see if we can connect on one of those because that's what you really have to do to keep teams honest, and that's what his big value is in this team. So will he be able to find that? Will Jermaine Curse get back on track in terms of his uh, steadiness as a veteran receiver? Will Sam Darnold make better decisions? Will he find the end zone? All things that we're going to look forward to for the New York Jets, we got to see the defense, if they're going to be able to keep their sacks up, can they stop the run, slow down uh, LaShawn McCoy? And who's the quarterback we're going to play? That's going to be the big thing. Is it going to be Josh Allen? Or is it going to be Nathan Peterman? We're going to be waiting to hear that. It's a big news for the New York Jets this week. Hopefully the team can get healthy. We have a bye after we play the Bills. Then it's Patriots. And then it's uh, just more tough games for the rest of the year. Other than another Bills game, really, is the only other one you can see as a possible win. Maybe Titans. But uh, it's tough going right now. This is a game that... This is one of two easiest games for the rest of the season. This and the other Bills game. So let's see how the Jets do in this one. I know it's tough defense, but we got to get something going. This offense has been way, way too slow of recent weeks. I appreciate everybody for coming over. Uh, I know that a lot of people have been listening with me for a long time, but there's some new people joining us as well this week. So thank you for joining. Definitely those people that have been listening for a while, I appreciate your support and making it uh, making it possible. That's the reason that I'm here on Gang Green Nation now, recording this podcast, You know, because I had a following before and, and people that were tuning in. That's why I kept making these episodes and... I appreciate all that, all the support I've gotten. Hope to get some new fans. You know, if you like what you hear, tell your friends. Jets fans only, of course. That's really all we talk about here. But yeah, let me know. If you want me to add anything, change anything, I'm still tailoring this thing. It's a, uh, a work in progress, of course, the format and everything as we go. So feel free to reach out and let me know what you think about that. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter for bonus coverage throughout the week, at Jets underscore Dan. 
It's at Jets underscore Dan for Twitter. You can comment on anything there. You can reach out. You can tell me uh, questions, issues that you have with anything that I'm saying, thoughts that you have, you know, share your opinions and whatnot. And we'll talk about it. If you got questions, I'll answer them on the next episode. And that's where we're at. This podcast is taking the next step. I'm super excited about it. I love uh, love recording it. I love the New York Jets. So talking about them is a dream come true. And getting a bigger platform to do it is awesome. So thank you for joining me. I'll see you next week. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.